whoever hunts monsters should make sure that he himself don't become a monster. When you stare into the hole, the hole stares back into you. The darkness is addictive. You know, if I had one wish, it would be for wisdom, you know. Wisdom to make better decisions. But I guess I didn't really have a choice. Most likely, they're gonna shoot this poor girl and her kid, and I'm not really numb enough to stand by and watch. At least not yet. Once I fired my shot, I had to think quicker that family I was protecting would end up dead anyway. Now before they could get to their guns in the car, I laid down another three of them and ran to the woman and threw her and the kid behind some cover. I tried reasoning with them. Maybe I should have done that first. You know, but <laughs> that's what I was talking about. You know, that wisdom. I said, just let me walk. Y'all can keep the guns and the money. Just let us walk up out of here. The girl will keep quiet and you know, and I'm so 12 on the way. How do you think they replied? <laughs> they replied by cocking their guns and throwing more lead than a pencil factory. I was quick with my gun, but not quick enough to beat five or six Uzi shooting at me. I looked for an escape route and prayed for sirens to scream a warning to these murderers to get out of here now and live to die another day. No such luck on that siren, though. I grabbed the woman and we headed for a building, using the pallets full of junk around us for cover and whatever else we could hide behind. Bullets whizzed by. Everything around us was lit up. But somehow, we made it into the building safe. I don't know anything about how smart this girl is, but she was smart enough to shut up, move fast, and keep her head low. I heard the gunfire stop and I heard sirens closing in. I heard them rush to get the guns loaded and dip out. We should be safer now, right? Once I was sure we were safe and I watched the police look around and try to find some idea of what went on right there. I finally took some time to talk to her. What are you doing here? You know, why are you here in the first place? So do you, you don't even know what you just messed up, do you? She was sitting there quiet. I guess she was still shook up. And, you know, I could understand that. But at the time, my anger got the best of me. I know it wasn't her fault. It could have been anybody passing through. Just stumbled across her. A dumb cop making a dumb move, trying to set up some dummies. It could have been anybody, right? 
I told her I was sorry. And I told her, don't ever come in that area again. Period. I walked up to the bus station and gave her the little money that I had on me and told her, it don't matter where you go, just, just go far. Just go far. Take your kid and go. By now, I was feeling sad and I really wanted to give her a hug, man. And me, I ain't had one in so long. And I could tell she was longing for one herself. I had to figure out my next move. Technically, my cover wasn't blown. But I'm pretty sure they don't want to talk to me anymore and I never get the chance to say anything to them after this. But shoot, while I'm talking, really my mission is done, right? I guess I could just hit up my guy and get, uh, you know, get a ticket up out of here. <laughs> but I got a feeling that it's going to be a little more complicated than that, right? Nothing ever easy, especially not in this line of work. I guess the big dogs caught one of the whole AK deal and now the op was shut down. The new plan was to bust them with the possession of the guns. The city couldn't take any more unsolved murders and even all the overtime wasn't enough to keep the cops happy. Now the plan was to, you know, have murders done, but they would be able to get solved because of the AKs. But still, at this point, the city had so much chaos coming from the townspeople about the murders that they was just too scared of what the repercussions would be of more dead people. Especially with the summertime coming up. Some of y'all might not know, but in the summertime, it just don't get hot because of the sun. It get hot because of all the gunfire that goes on. Why would he not tell me this before now? I felt like my guy was running the game on me. You know, something wasn't right, man. They always reach out to me. You know, why change up now? How do you come across information like this and you don't hit me up and let me know? But before I could really question him, he threw a big bonus my way just to keep me listening. Cause I threatened to hang up and get on the first thing smoking back to my city. He asked me to find out where they took the guns and get police in there to make arrests. See, but to this day, no one in Double M has ever been to jail. They were ready to die or kill first. I hated him for pulling this last minute stuff on me. But I gave in. I told him I would find the guns. And after that, I'm on my way back, point blank, pit. I knew a few spots where the gang hung out. One of them had to have something or someone I could talk to. 
and I probably have to beat whatever words I got up out of them to hear anything. But first I had to go lay down for a while. I was tired, man. The adrenaline rush of a shootout. It don't hit you at the time, but afterwards, you don't want to do nothing but sit it down for a minute. I needed some sleep. And even though it's hard for me to sleep usually, I'm scared of my own mind and the dreams that live in it. But I had to lay down and give me some sleep. Every dream I have is like a bad movie. The type you watch at home on a Thursday night with your lady. The type you don't even pay attention to until you get about an hour in. And you only pay attention then because your lady keep asking you what's going on. The type of movie you watch already knowing who's the bad guy and his motivations are selfish and stupid. But then you're tricked by a meaningless and unearned twist that my grandma could have seen coming. The worst of the worst part is having to sit there through the whole thing. Most of the time already knowing it's a dream and trying to wake myself up. I can feel myself tossing and turning in the bed while I dream. The nice movie featured a fool who fell in love with his job, put the happiness of his bosses before his own self. And you know how it go. Eventually, he lost his wife and his baby girl in the process to a younger and funner man. Needless to say, the fool was me. This dream was better than the last one, the one where I was in hell. At least it was better than that, huh? At the end, the twist was <laughs> that it wasn't a dream. That I was a fool for real. And most likely I lost my wife and baby girl for real. And I'm sure some young and fun bull had already come in and brought new life to my wife. Probably the cable guy come, you know, come by to fix the Wi-Fi that my wife purposely messed up. She wasn't the most internetically inclined, so she probably just unhooked the cord and blamed it on the baby. You know, I almost wanted to cry at the thought of it. But your emotions are skewed in dreams. The monsters I'm sent to catch are smarter than the common person thinks. Just because someone is evil doesn't mean that they aren't educated. They only spend their time being schooled by the streets and the morals of the others. I understand them though. But I don't understand why they do what they do. You know, it seems stupid to me. But I'm sure they feel the same way about me. And if only they knew what I left behind to chase them. A wife, a loving wife, a baby, a, a beautiful baby. I left them behind. But they bring their families along for the ride. 
You know, it's dangerous, man. Way more dangerous. But at least they get to see true love. Somebody right there, you know, right by their side during that time of need. I'm jealous of that. Is true love sticking by a husband that you know is a murderer and thief? Or is true love sticking beside a husband that hunts murderers and thieves? The first wife, at least she along for the ride. The ups, the down, you know, there's no secrets. She know who her husband is. She know what he goes through. She know what he does. But the second wife sits at home and shops and goes to the gym and way too tight tights and <laughs> enjoys her misery. She probably wouldn't even recognize me if she seen me at work, seen me in the street. I'm selfish. Even as selfless as I am at work, on a job like this, I'm still selfish as a one-year-old. And I put my own will way over what's best for my family. Death is coming. Death is coming. It's coming. I think I can feel it. Death is coming. These words rang in my mind like a demonic ringtone. My hands were shaking so bad I could barely load the bullets into my magazines. I wish the magazines that I often held were the kinds you read on the beach and not the kinds you shove into the bottom of a cold piece of steel. Waiting for somebody to pull her trigger and warm her up. A vacation, man. A beach. Sand. Bikinis. Fun. Hmm. <sighs> It just seems so distant, almost like it don't even exist. I guess I am on vacation, <laughs> a vacation away from everything I love. Just, who am I kidding, man? This is what I love. <laughs> wow. I never realized that. This is what I love. Well, you know what? I realized it, but I guess I never said it out loud. This is what I love. And that's why I'm here. The dark chant in my head started to quiet down some. And I got my nerve back. Just enough to get up and head to the first spot where the guns might be. When I got there, all the guys stood around looking nervous. I'm sure I rattled these dogs' cages after I killed their leaders in that gun deal. You know, gangs, they seem strong until you kill their leader. You know, the members are so young and immature that often they don't understand the idea of a pecking order. So soon as the one in power is gone, greed and power run rampant through the ranks making everybody quick to forget the chaotic order of their dead leader. In the movies, you see a guy sneak into a place and choke out the guards one by one, you know, and then carry on his mission. But the truth is, 
that's fake, phony, baloney. Made for the movies, made for TV, made for video games, whatever. In real life, unless you got the time to tie and gag those guys, or got enough tranquilizer for all of them, <laughs> you gotta kill them. So I'm gonna wait till it's dark. Cause I don't wanna have to kill all these guys. You know, I got a lot of blood on my hands. If I can, you know, stop from getting a little bit more, I look at that as a small little personal victory. You know, maybe that'll give me enough time to get in there and, and get what I need. You know, I just wait till it get dark and maybe a few of them leave and I just take a quick look around and find them guns. They won't be easy to miss. The sun made its way behind the building. It slow danced through the sky, countdown to my dumb plan. I took a few empty water bottles with me, along with some duct tape. It didn't make a perfect silencer, but it was better than nothing. I made my way through a hole I cut in the gate and snuck in, every step careful as a house cat. The gang was pretty easy to sneak by. They were all drinking and smoking and listening to trap music so the 808s gave me enough cover that they couldn't hear me if I dropped a box of glasses I saw some crates under a tarp I wasn't sure you know if they were the ones I was looking for but I had to get closer and check to make sure if I sent the police on a dummy mission they would take the guns into a hole so deep only God himself could find it. And my mission would be an even worse failure than I already feel like. I got close and moved the tarp enough to peek inside. It wasn't what I was looking for. It looked similar, you know, to the crates that I gave them, but it wasn't them. I put the tarp back and made my way back out of here. Now on the way out, I heard some guys talking about a party they were having on the top floor. Didn't really sound right though. You know, it sounded like cold words for something, something, something dark and sinister. You know, maybe I was being prejudiced, but they did call themselves Murder Mob. And wore the name like a badge of honor. I followed the two guys close, but not too close. And I stopped when we got to the stairs. I clicked the safety off my gun and took a few deep breaths. It was moves like these. Unplanned moves that my instinct made for me. That always got me into trouble. I really thought it would be best if I stayed the course and made my way out of here. But that's the very problem right there. Staying the course for me. You know, I'm constantly swerving off of it. Seeing what enchanting dangers is down the road less traveled. 
I held my gun close and made my way up the stairs. I started to hear laughter and screams to go along with it. There was a group of young ladies who looked like they were done partying, but the boys were just getting started. Now, I truly hoped that they would let them go, but I already knew that wasn't going to happen. At least not without a little lead persuasion. Now, I wasn't leaving without these girls. Those guns became a distant second objective on my quest for justified evils. From my hiding spot, I watched the girls try to uncomfortably sit comfortable in the lion's den. You know, it's really kind of stupid on my part because I don't know these women. I don't know their stories. But you know, I do know the type though. You know, every week they probably get into it with some guys trying to be cool and biting off more than they can chew. But be that as it may, it doesn't get these beasts to go ahead and to torment them tonight. Maybe some other girls some other night, but not these girls on this night. You know, I'm thinking I might have to shoot my way out of here. There ain't no way they gonna let me walk up out of here, especially with tonight's entertainment. The gun was hard to hold from the sweat in my palms. I'm surprised the handle hadn't rusted. I reached into the deepest, stupidest part of myself and made a move towards the party. I knocked the biggest guy down with the butt of the gun and grabbed another guy at gunpoint. I don't want much, y'all. I just want to get out of here with these girls. And I promise I won't kill all y'all. They looked at me like I meant business. I said, don't go for them straps now. Matter of fact, throw them all in that bag over there and slide it over here to me. I guess when you take on 10 times more gas than you, with five times bigger guns than you, those guys know you either A, ain't got nothing to lose, B, too stupid to realize what you got to lose, C, an outright idiot with a death wish, or D, <laughs> all of the above. And which one would you bubble in in my scenario? The girls stood there looking dazed and confused. I'm sure they never in a million years expected somebody to save them from murder mob. These domestic type disputes can always be tricky though, man. I started looking at the girls and I saw a little look in their faces that didn't sit right with me. Then one of the girls spoke up and said, well, what about the money? Hmm. The guys were treating the girls rough, but they were getting paid for it. Don't make it right, but in their minds, it made it fair. I wondered what the girls truly wanted. Did they want to get away? Or did they want to get paid? 
can't have both. I motioned for them to come, but they kept standing there, still looking lost. I said, so what's wrong with y'all? You gonna put up with this for money? How much? A few hundred dollars worth of your dignity? You don't know these guys, and you think they gonna stop it smacking you around a little bit? These guys will kill you for fun, especially if you don't get them everything they want and more. One of the girls spoke up, saying she needed the money, saying they all needed the money. The other girls looked at the floor in agreement. I wanted to smack them myself, man. Not for the, you know, the same reason as Double M, but to try to smack some sense into them. <laughs> Probably be an even further waste of my time. Listen here, girls. I'm gonna leave. So one more time, are you coming or not? The leader of the girl spoke up again. We need our money first. Make them pay us, then we can go. Girl, is you crazy? Man, I ain't got no time to be trying to get money out these boys. We need to get up out of here. Then one of the guys spoke up. <laughs> Look, man, you trying to be Captain Saver thought, and these girl don't care so. They just want their money. And they want to have a good time, man. So I'm going to be nice. I'm only going to bust your head halfway open for interrupting our party. Just then, I knew I would be dodging bullets like raindrops. Before they could get to their guns, I had already dropped four of them and put one in the big guy knocked down early. The one who I held at gunpoint turned and charged me, knocking me to the ground. I wasn't mad at him, though, because I was able to use him as a shield from the other guys. They started shooting at us, and he started freaking out, telling them to stop firing. I kicked him off and fired back and headed to the exit. I slammed the door and put a pipe I saw laying around through the handle to bar it. I had four floors of stairs to make it down, and I don't think I ever touched more than a quarter of them. The guys on the lowest level didn't hear the shots, so I had the chance to still get out of there before they made it downstairs and filled them in on what happened. Everybody was good and drunk now, and it seemed half of them was gone. So it was pretty easy for me to make my way out the same way I came in. I could hear the music cut off and a bunch of screaming once I got a few yards away from the place. I had really messed up these guys' night. Shoot, I messed up their whole day. I know they'd be on the prowl all night long looking for me. I hope that someone heard the gunshots. Logic told me that someone, somewhere, had to hear machine gun fire. Logic never made no sense in the streets, though. I don't know what to do at this point. 
I still had my mission, but now they're going to put the word out about me. <sighs> it's true what they say. Only fools rush in. Everywhere I went, I heard whispers about what happened. Nobody had the real story, though, but they had a story nonetheless. I don't think I killed any of those guys, you know, at least I hope not. I got enough bodies on me as it is, man. I had to find the other spot. I had to figure out, you know, where these guns were. And this is crazy, man. Why would I agree to something like this? I'm out here trying to save these women and my own life, you know, it's just... And my own wife is probably, you know, at home just hating my guts right now. And I'm out here putting my life on the line for some women that won't even leave when some guys is smacking them around. Beating on them. What's wrong with me, man? Why can't I just stay focused and finish the dang mission? You know, I guess the mission is so flawed that subconsciously I can't make up my own mind and follow it straight. I guess my mind is telling me it's no way you sitting here following this stupid plan, doing this stuff that you know ain't right in the first place. Why am I such a bleeding heart? Somewhere someone is going through some heart-wrenching junk right now. And I can't be there to stop it. And that drives me crazy. It's billions of people on this earth. Does it really make a difference if I save one or two of them? I see the news and they talk about how many people have been murdered. Cities with millions of people in them have less than a thousand murders in them every year. But the news warns us, you know, that it's not even safe to look out your window. A city with three million people in it had 490 murders last year. That's 0.0163% of the people. <laughs> Not even half of 1%. Not even a, 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 a quarter of 1% of the people. 0.0163. To put it in perspective, imagine your brother or sister hit the lottery and brought home $3 million and gave you $490. Would you be happy with that amount? Or would you say, that ain't nothing? I can't believe you only gave me $490. We all know how you would feel. We all know. You wouldn't even be happy if they gave you $49,000 out of $3 million. So what's this all really about? Does the press and the people really care about 490 people? Or do they all just want something to talk about and someone to be scared of? I believe each one of those souls means something and they deserve justice. But then they all have backstories, reasons, you know. And does that really matter? You know, it shouldn't, but it does. Context, context, context. I wish I could just 
do my job like all the other cops. But maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe I'm the only one doing my job. I live in a small little town and nothing really exciting ever really happened. You know, it's one of those small little towns where generations pass on traditions to the next generation. Now, me, I like the area, but, you know, most of my, you know, folk now, man, you know, they just decided to move towards the big bustling cities and get caught up in the hustle and bustle, man. You know, where there's a bunch of noise, bunch of excitement, you know, parties going on, late night life around here. Man, the only thing open past 10, shoot, that McDonald's be open up past 10. But then that's only on the, uh, on Friday, Saturday. Everything else in the area be closed. You know, all except for Waffle House, man. You know, Waffle House stay open no matter what's going on, man. It can be the day, Judgment Day, and Waffle House still gonna be open, man. But anyway, uh, you know, I was just, you know, I was just going for a walk on a Sunday morning, you know, before church and everything. And when I saw this big gathering around the park, now me, I knew right away that something had happened. You know, we don't get much trouble around here. And when something do go off, it attract a lot of people, man. And bad news, it travel faster than the good news. You know how that go. You know, ain't folk, when, when you do something good, ain't nobody got nothing to say, boy. But as soon as you slip up and do something bad, boy, everybody and their mama got something to say about it, man. But anyway, I, you know, I slowly, I walk up, you know, to the crowd in the park. And it was just mainly, you know, dog walkers and joggers and all that stuff. Now, what I saw on the ground, you know, it man, it really, man, it just shocked me, man. It was a, was a man with a knife in his stomach on the ground just laying there. You know, but he wasn't in pain, though. You know, he's sitting there smiling. You know, now and then, you know, the man that was stabbed, you know, he would look at one of us and he'd give an even bigger smile. And when he spoke something, you know, it, it just creeped us out, man. You know, he said, would anyone like to be my killer? Now, this was weird because, you know, if you got a knife just sitting up in your stomach, man, you shouldn't be able to just talk with such, just so easily and so nonchalant about it. Now, my common sense told me that, you know, he must just be delirious, man. Like, the guy just, he just up in shock or something, man, you know. Because, obviously, a killer or someone with the intention of killing had already, you know, stabbed him. So, one man in the crowd came and said, who did this to you? And the guy come back and said, nobody did this to me. I was born like this. And stabbed my mama wound, man. The stab man on the ground said that with a smile on his face. Like, I mean, this guy was all around confusing, man. And the reason no one called the cops or the ambulance 
was because this guy had the amazing ability to just reassure everybody that he ain't need no police or no amulamps or he ain't, you know, he ain't even need no milk or nothing. He was just good, man. Now, <laughs> it was crazy, but he really did, like, look okay with his knife sitting up in his stomach and his claim that he was born like this. And he just kept saying, you know, if anybody would like to be, you know, my murderer, come be my killer. Come on. And if, you know, and if we did, then all we had to do was just take the knife out. And everybody around was just quiet. And he just like, come on, somebody, somebody out there, come on and kill me, man. Please be my murderer, baby. I come to this planet in peace, but my people are naturally born victims without any killer or any attacker. Our purpose in life is to find someone to be our attacker, or killer or whatever, by taking a weapon out from inside us that we all born with. Now, I was born with a knife stabbed up in my stomach. And the only way I, you know, the, the only way I need to find my killer is to make him or her take the knife out of my stomach. And that's my purpose. That's what the crazy stab man told us. That he needed somebody to pull the knifes up out of his stomach, man. Now, he kept telling us that he was from another planet and all his people was born with something already stabbed up into them or some form of attack already done to them. Now, it's like an incomplete story without an ending. And like in our world, it's the murderer or attacker who first has to attack us to make any of us the victim. But for the stab man people, they were born a victim already without an attacker or killer. Now, one guy from the crowd was crazy enough to go close to the knife that was sitting up in the stab man's stomach. Now, as he was getting close to the stab man, he started to become, you know, more... Like, at first, he was, like, nervous, like, shaking nervous, but then he just started to calm down a little bit. Then we all started noticing, you know, 12 in the ambulance just appearing up out of nowhere, you know, but... They were stuck in time, like they had just been stopped. And then memories started to be invented into our minds so that there was a logical explanation of how the stab man got stabbed, like the incomplete story was now being completed. The man then got scared and went back into the crowd, and the invented memory died. And the 12 in the ambulance, all them folk just disappeared. So the guy come back again, please, somebody be my killer. I don't want to be a murdered victim without a killer anymore. The stab man just, just pleading, man, just pleading with us, man. Then an old man came up out the crowd. And say, you know what, forget it, I'm old. I might as well die in prison, you know, where I got free food, uh, shelter, 
and a dang TV. And he slowly started plucking a knife up out the stab man's stomach. And 12 and the ambulance people were now coming up out of nowhere again. But this time they was getting closer to us. And we all started to get invented memories of how the stab man got stabbed. Just boom, right into our minds. He was stabbed because the old man tried robbing him. And the guy tried fighting back. And that was the memory which was just fixed up into all our minds. The stab man died, but had his smile like his life purpose was now complete and he was no longer a victim without an attacker, a killer. And of course, they threw that old man up in prison, man. Now, if you ever go past someone who's been stabbed or attacked in any way, and is begging someone to be his attacker or killer. Just keep on walking, Sheldon. The alien race is a strange race. And they look harmless. But they cause a whole lot of change. More change than an arcade. I'm the youngest of four children. I got my brother named um, Titus and my sister named Nydia and my other sister named Laverne. She had an old lady name. <laughs> and my brother Titus has always excelled in just about every sport, man. I'm talking about basketball, baseball, football, even bowling, man. Whatever he touched, you know, he was the man. And he was quite the ladies' man in high school, too. And he eventually received a football scholarship to a major university, you know, after graduating. Signed with the New York Jets and all that. He was straight. Nydia is a talented musician, uh, musician and an uh, accomplished pianist. <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet. She had performed all over the world from Carnegie Hall to the Sydney Opera House. She even performed for the Queen of England on two separate occasions. And Laverne, old name having but, was a straight-A student all through school and got a Ph.D. in physics from Harvard and is now a physics professor at uh, MIT. Now, my siblings have always had it pretty good, but for me, I was pretty much the screw-up, boy. I was the black sheep. Matter of fact, I was darker than black, boy. And I wasn't no good at sports, had no musical talent beyond playing... Uh, 
you know, I used to play my little, I play my little rap music and stuff. I, you know, I used to be a rapper. You know, you know how they go. Everybody rap at some point in their life. But that's about it. And uh, and, and my grades in school was below average. You know. And uh, as for being a hit with the girls, well, let's just say you know, I had a few challenges. You know. So anyway, my parents eventually uh, came to view me as a disappointment. <laughs> they just kept it real with me, man. Although they never said it directly, they actions showed it. And they let me know in a kind of, you know, you know how parents do, man, when they let you know. They know they view me. Uh, I know they view me as a hopeless cause. And to be honest, it hurt deep inside. And one day during my senior year of high school, I just, you know, I was at my lowest point. You know, and one day I flunked the math test, got dumped by my girlfriend for two of two months for the captain of the wrestling team. And as I'm walking down the hall toward lunch, I'm just thinking, man, what is my purpose in life? Like, why did God put me on this earth, you know, in the first place, man? Why did he give me my siblings just this crazy talent and smarts? And just give me nothing, man. I was feeling so low that I thought about just killing myself right there, man. And now as I'm thinking these thoughts, you know, on the way um, to the cafeteria, I hear a friendly voice say, why so sad? I turned around and saw a man sitting at a table. The man himself was actually recruited for the army. And it was common to see them them uh, armed forces people set up in the cafeteria at my school trying to recruit students into the service and all that. So I sat down and told him my situation. And the man rubbed his chin and said, you know, the Army can help you find your purpose. We offer all kind of opportunity for young men such as yourself, man. And he handed me one of them little pamphlets, and man, I looked it over, and I decided right then and there that I joined the Army after graduation. And I signed up right up on the spot, man. Now, when I got home and told my parents about me uh, joining the army, they of course handled there with their handled it with their usual uh, enthusiasm or lack thereof. And my dad was like, "Oh, that's uh, that's good, son. I guess." And mom was like, "Indeed, I'm sure the army needs someone to clean out the latrines and stuff." Now, it was right then I went off the walls. I yelled at them for stepping all over my hope, and I was going to make something of myself by joining the Army. And then I left and uh, spent the weekend at my friend's um, house, man. I just wanted to get away from my folks after that, man. Eventually, the day came. I graduated high school, and a few weeks later, I got on a bus to basic training, a boot camp, as it's called. Now, I was sent to a place called Fort Pritchard, Located 20 minutes east of Atlanta. It was an old base having opened about three years before America entered World War One. Now, I was there to um, meet um, Master Sergeant Collins, man. It would have been cool if they still had the base in Atlanta. You know, it was that base over there by Fort McPherson, but Tyler Perry bought that mug and uh, turned it into a movie studio. But anyway... Uh, Shoot, if, dang, if I was right there in the city, boy, I'd still be partying, man. <laughs> Kicking with, with my homie there, man. But anyway, uh, like Sergeant Collins, man, he, um, man, this was the most, 
Worst tempered man I ever met, man. He was ugly, boy. I'm talking about oogla ugly, man. Had a face like a pig, man. Short, stubby nose, turned up at the end. Big drooping jaws, man. Beady eyes. Looking like belonged to one of them old porcelain dolls. But that man was built, though, boy. Was built like Hulk Hogan, y'all. <laughs> and the moment I locked eyes with him, I could tell he already hated me the moment I stepped up off that bus, man. And I sure enough was right, boy. Master Sergeant Collins made my time there a living hell, man. He often get right up in my face and start yelling at me, spit flying from his mouth like a mad dog calling me worthless and other names, make me do extra push-ups, extra sit-ups. Even make um, excuses just to punish me and, and make me miserable, man. Now, after the first two or three weeks, I about ready to give up, man. I thought about just AWOL, man. But then I thought about it and decided not to. Like, shoot, where I'm going to go? I'm too far away from home. <laughs> you know, bus don't run out here. And also the Army, you know, they come and get me. You know, just to prove um, him and my you know, Master Collins and Sergeant Master Collins and my parents, right? That was a worthless screw-up. So I decided to suck it up and be a man. And Collins still made life tough, but I ain't let him get to me, though, man. You know, no matter what I did, I, you know, whatever he did, I still endured, man. I think I was even starting to just tick him off, man, because, you know, whenever he leave me, he'd be muttering cuss words up under his breath. Like, this guy was trying his hardest to break my spirit, but I wasn't going to let him know, man. Then one day during week five of basic training, I was in line with the rest of my regiment when, um, you know, and um, instead of Collins, man, we had a new drill instructor. The guy called himself Staff Sergeant Rowland. And after he addressed himself and uh, he said he'd be our new instructor, I said, so what happened to Collins? And he said, uh, Master Sergeant Collins died in his sleep last night. We don't know the cause yet, but we should know by the end of the day. After that, the last three weeks of training were a breeze. <laughs> it was later revealed that Collins had died of a brain aneurysm, man. I got to admit, you know, at first I felt bad. Uh, dang, did I cause it? But, Sue, really, he did it to himself. Ain't nobody tell him be trying me all day. You gotta be careful trying me up, so <laughs> you know. I mean, with all that yelling and screaming he did, it's just a matter of time for something like that happened. Now, eventually, I graduated from boot camp, and I was assigned to go over uh, to to Italy for three years. You know, where I learned uh, a very special skill, man. When I came back, I used that skill to give me a good job, man. Now, what's the skill I learned? I tell you, and uh, and you see, a few years after I got out the army, I was invited to a reunion of my old regiment. So I went with my fiance to the reunion at a local VFW, and uh, met a bunch of guys and their wives and girlfriends, and about half of them were still in the army, having decided to make career up out of it. So the reunion was going on, and everybody having a good time, laughing, telling stories, drinking, when all of a sudden a blast of cold air just shot through the room. Now, everybody stopped partying and looked as the door to the banquet hall flew open, and in steps Master Sergeant Collins. His skin was bone white, and, uh, and them eyes, man, were just 
The whites of his eyes were black as coal with dull orange pinpricks of light right where the, the iris or the pupil or whatever should have been. Now, when we got to the center, when he got to the center of the room, he said up in this big loud voice, what's going on here? I thought I trained you meatheads to be soldiers, not a bunch of the wishy-washy um, fadgets. That's what he called us. <laughs> I don't know what that was, man, a fadget. It's just the thing he said, man. I, stupid stuff, man. He did start making all kinds of trouble, man. Knocking tables over. Um, just throwing stuff around and all that. Now, everybody started panicking, man, but not me. Because I had my special skill and I was ready to use it, man. I spoke up and I said, hey, Collins, you remember me? And he turned to me and that light turned red up in his eyes. And he said, that's Master Sergeant Collins, you worthless pal or nothing. And he drew closer, man, and he continued, you were worthless the day that you arrived at boot camp, and I bet you're worthless now. You weren't even fit to wear the uniform of the United States Army. And I stood my ground just like I did years before. And I said, oh, yeah. What made you so tough back then? And, and uh, what made you think you're so tough now? I could tell he was getting real angry, man. And that light in his eyes was getting bigger. But I kept going. If you're so tough even after death, then won't you fight me like a man? At this point, he was filming, man. His eyes were completely red, and he looked over me and said, If it's a fight you want, it's a fight you're going to get. And with this, he lunged at me screaming, man. And um, it was then that I whipped out my little crucifix and hollered, In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I send me back to where you came, man. And just like that, he just disappeared, man, like a little bubble, and it just popped. You know that special skill of mine. <laughs> you can like learn it. You can you know you can learn a thing or two in the army, man. But there's one thing they can't teach you. I learned my special skill from the chaplain in the base of Italy, Brother Patterson, what they called him. He was trained in some secret stuff, exorcisms that uh, I really can't tell y'all nothing about. And then he trained me and, uh, you know, got my little certification, you know. So you can probably guess what I do for a living. I'm a professional demon killing, butt kicking, ghost drilling. I was finna say ghost licking. <laughs> Exorcist. <laughs> I want to give a special thanks to y'all who, you know, take money out your actual pocket and donate to this podcast. I thank you so much. Right now, I got three people who support the podcast. It's a blessing, man. I can't believe that people, you know, actually, it's just an honor that someone can, you know, put their money towards me telling scary stories. So I'm going to make sure that I keep it going. I'm going to keep giving y'all as many stories as I can, as fast as I can. And for the three of y'all who did that, you are my prayers. 
you know, I love you, I thank you, and, um, you know, anything you need, horror-wise, hit me up, I give you, you know, your story ideas, whatever the case is, just let me know, and I'm happy to do it for y'all, man, thank you, and if anybody else want to donate, you go to anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash hood horror, and right there, you can, um, it says support this podcast and they got a couple of different options like a one five and a ten dollar option and any of them i'll be happy with any of them man i'll take all that money i don't care if it's pennies or what appreciate you man thank y'all love y'all